You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, it's Jean Chatsky, and welcome to Old Home Week on Her Money. It's Old Home Week because my old friend, who's not so old, he looks just the same as the last time I, I saw him, you. is in the studio with me. I'm talking about David Bach, who, God, I haven't seen you. We were just saying, first of all, how are you tan? You are tan. Am I tan? I don't know. Where have I been? God. You're you know, tan and you've got like, you're wearing beads. I'm wearing beads. I know these are from Panama. This is, this is like my good luck charm here, my karma. This is a whole new David Bach. <laughs> well, right. I'm not wearing, because you can't see me, I'm not wearing my typical Money 911 Today Show outfit. I'm wearing like real clothes. You're wearing like real clothes and you're relaxed. Well, and that's true. I took a year, you know, t- you take a year sabbatical and you just it like changes your whole spirit. Yeah, it's good. It's awesome. It's good. You're very, you're very zen, but you are, you're back and re-releasing the automatic millionaire and. I know. It's so good to be, you know, first of all, you and I have not seen each other. I think it's been three years, which is way too long. Which is long. way too long. And by the way, Jean doesn't age either. I don't, I don't know. I don't, you gotta turn me on to your doctor. I can turn you on to my hair colorist. <laughs> you look sensational. It's really good to see you. I love that we're actually together now for more than a three minute clip on the today show. It's good me to actually too. get to hang out with you. And yeah. I appreciate you having me on to talk about my latest release. You know, we updated the automatic millionaire and Jan- came out in January. Uh, but this is, of all the books, the biggest book I've ever done. And we have a million and a half copies of it out, but it was 10 years old. Yeah. And so everything's changed in the world of investing. And it was kind of time to like put the refresh on it and give the latest technologies and tips to get started, but especially wanted to reach millennials. Cause as you and I both know, like we got to get this whole younger generation investing, investing. They're really good savers. I mean, they that's are. the thing that has been so, I guess, optimistic when it comes to or heartening about millennials is that they are really, really good at stashing money away. They're not as good at putting that money to work, which I think you can understand because they came out of college during the middle of the crisis. Well, they, you know, two things have happened to millennials, and I, I didn't intend for us to start down the millennial path, but since we, we are, the, the thing that worries me about millennials, and we're talking about like 83 million people here, it's, ba- right. it's bigger than the baby boom generation. Um, when you look at what the millennials were indoctrinated with, with the recession, two critical things happened to them that are scarring that generation. One is they saw housing blow up. Yep. And so as a result of that, and some of them saw their parents lose their homes. As a result of that, the American dream, which was pretty traditional, you would get out of, out of school, mm-hmm. you'd get a job, and you'd start saving to buy your first home. That dream has sort of gone away for an entire generation. We've seen millennials really put off buying their first home. And in some cases, it's because they're still living with mom and dad, by the way. But many have just put off that decision. And what I've been out talking about is is really this. If For millennials who are putting off the decision to buy a home, they're actually missing the escalator to wealth. It's, it's the biggest form of building wealth in this country that we've ever had and, and probably ever will have is home ownership. But there are many cases they're doing it because they're feeling 
A, not just scared, as we're talking about, and I think understandably scared, but also encumbered by this trillion dollars of student loan debt. There is no question that this generation has come out of school with more debt than any generation. And it's a, it's, it is a trillion dollar problem. And I'm not discounting that because it's a problem. But I, I just spoke to the military in Washington, D.C. last week. I went and did a volunteer event to help a bunch of young people transitioning out of the military. Mm-hmm. And so the average age in this room is probably about 26. And they're able to get VA loans. And in many cases, they don't have student loans. Right. And I was talking to them about the need to buy a home. And at the, you know, they were coming up to me at the end of the event saying, well, I, I thought home ownership doesn't work anymore. I'm like, no, it still works. And so there's two things. There's the home ownership element. And there's the need to continue to pay ourselves first and get millennials, really everybody in America, especially women, but millennials to pay themselves first and use their retirement accounts at work. And the reason millennials aren't using their retirement accounts at work is that they're changing jobs more frequently than ever before. Everybody is. Right. You know, by the time many people are 30, they've had two, three or four jobs already. They're cashing out these 401k plans at record levels. So... I just wanted to go, kind of go back out with the basic crusade of let's get Americans to pay themselves first, save money automatically. And for those who haven't bought a home, buy I that home. home. And then if you've got a home, pay that debt off. Because I heard you talking earlier, like there's no better form of financial security than crushing down your debt. So let's sort of break this down and, and take it step by step. When uh, I spent the last few months of my life talking about age proof and how automation is key to really conquering your financial life, but also your health life. Like you've got to put as much as you can on automatic pilot because human beings are really bad at making decisions over and over and over again. You're better off with good habits. So as you look to automate your financial life, talk to us about the path to a million dollars. So let me go through why do you automate your financial life? And then we can talk about the health side too. The reason you automate your financial life is that, number one, you're busy, and you're busier today than ever before. And so when you're busy, you don't have time to do something as simple as write a check and save money. And we know that people who say they're going to write checks and save money don't. I learned that nine years at Morgan Stanley. I would have people come in and say, David, you don't know me. I'm super disciplined. I'm going to write a check. I'm going to bring it to you every 30 days. I only had one client do that for more than six months. So the (laughs) only clients that I had who, who really saved money automatically, they saved it automatically. You know what? This is so true, even of people like me. And I've got a financial advisor. I've been very open about the fact that I I don't do this all myself. I have somebody helping me. But I have at certain points said to my advisor, I'm going to write you a check and send it to you tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes and tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes. And finally, I just said, every single month, I want you to draft out of my account. And that works. And so you're self-employed, and it's a lot of people there are self-employed, right? We live in a freelanced economy, and I think you know when you're freelance and you have a bookkeeper, I'm sure, one way to do this is you tell your bookkeeper, when the money comes in, I want you to automatically cut the check that I have to sign. Then the check will get sent over to the advisor. But for the, you know, I don't even do that with a bookkeeper. I just have it go. You know, I have the bank. The bank has systems, and the bank automatically automatically writes a check. So I really cover in Automatic Millionaire how to put your financial life on autopilot. And I used to say in less than an hour. Today I can tell you it's less than 15 minutes. But, you know, there's a handful of things you automate. The first thing you automate is your pay yourself first account. So if you've got a job, that's your 401k plan. The question becomes how much do you put away? And the magic formula is one hour a day of your income, which comes out to be 12.5% of your gross revenue, 
but one hour a day of your income is clear. So I, I always tell people, look, if you're going to go to work, put yourself first. The first hour a day of your income, you keep that. Now, if you don't have a 401k plan, then you have to go open up an IRA account or if you're self-employed, a SEP IRA. Those are the easiest ones to set up. Once you've done that, the next thing you need to automate is a security account. Mm -hmm. So we always talk about, you know, you need three months to 24 months of, of security money set aside. We An say, emergency account. We Emergency account. We say this so much that sometimes it sounds like blah, 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 but it's, <laughs> it's really, really important. And that gets automated. The third thing you automate is your credit card. So you were talking about credit cards earlier. You automate your credit card bills to be paid monthly minimum payments, and then you automate on top of that. So you make two payments. And I go through a whole process on how to pay your credit cards off in really less than three years if you do it correctly. And then the fourth thing you automate is your mortgage, if you've got one. And I recommend a biweekly payment plan where you pay half a mortgage payment every two weeks takes a 30-year mortgage down, as you know, by like five years. Yep. Those are just really four simple things that you automate. And the last one is you automate your tithing. So I, I'm a big believer that it all comes around full circle and that when you give back, it comes back. It just it it makes the world a better place. It makes your life better. And so I, I end the book on giving back and I teach people to just give automatically. I'm not telling you who to give to. You know, It could be your church, your temple, your favorite charity, but that a, part of, a little part comes off whatever you choose, and that gets paid automatically also. And by the way, if you care about the organizations that you're giving to, the fact that the money is coming in regularly for them, it just makes it a lot easier for them to operate their budgets because they're not crashing every Christmas season saying we need to make all of our money now. It's it's huge for them. And I realize, I just I forgot one more. That's your dream account. So. Uh. You know, I wrote a book, Smart Women Finish Rich. And I love the fact, by the way, you're doing a podcast for women. I think it's so awesome. I love it too. Thank you. And, you know, in Smart Women Finish Rich, I talk about the need for a dream account. And the idea of a dream account is between now and retirement, there's a whole lot of life. And you tell me a dream you've got, and I'll tell you the way to get there. You pay for it. Yeah. And so you set up an account specifically for your dreams. And when my clients would come in my office, I'd say, Tell me something you want to do between now and retirement you're not doing. They give me a list of things, and I'd say, great, we're going to open up an account for it. We're going to name that account, your kitchen, whatever it is. I want a new kitchen. It's the new kitchen account. I want to go to Africa. My wife right now is on a safari with a bunch of her girlfriends. You know, whatever the dream is, it's called the Safari Africa account. You put money every time you get paid automatically in that account. And once it's paid for, you go on the trip. And it makes such a difference because you don't have the bills when you come back. When I turned 50, we wanted to take everybody to Hawaii. And we opened an account the year before, funded the account. Good for you. When we came home, there were no bills. It was like magic. I'm going home. I'm looking for the invitation to the Gene Chasky Hawaii trip. Hawaii. I missed that. <laughs> Was it fun? It was really fun. It was really fun. We went, Elliot and I, my kids, his kids, his son's now fiance, because Sam and Shelby are engaged. Congratulations. My mom and Bob. It was wonderful. Oh, that's it was really, awesome. really wonderful. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about your soul, your Buddha beads, whatever we're calling these beads <sighs> that you're wearing around your neck, and your new Zen attitude, which I think is something that came from the fact that you took a sabbatical. But before we do that, let me just remind everybody, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments, and Fidelity is focused on helping women like us take charge of our financial lives so that we can all 
have those dreams that David is talking about so that we can all live the lives that we're working so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with David Bach. You'll find information about how to manage money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married or divorced or starting a new career. Again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. So let's talk a little bit about sabbaticals. You know, I think sabbatical is a new, I know it's not a new word. I think it's in the ether because I was out in Orlando running a 401k race and a guy, one of the organizers said that he had decided to allow all of his employees to take a 40-hour sabbatical. And then they just had to come back and report on what they did and what they learned and why it was special. And the the employees did lots of different things. They studied trees. They learned languages, immersion in 40 hours. One of them studied beer. But, you know, I mean, I, I think this idea of taking time to recharge is really interesting. So tell us about yours. Yeah, well, I, first of all, 40 hours, I think that's like a little a little baby step to a sabbatical, but I think it's a great start. There's a huge movement in this country to reclaim our lives. And, you know, I personally made a decision. Well, I'll give the whole background. So my wife, Alicia, who you know, asked me, what did I want for my birthday? This is 2012. And she was about six months in front of my birthday because she's a big planner. And I said, honey, what do I want for my birthday? I said, I'll tell you what I want. I want a year off. And she looked at me and she goes, well, what do you mean? Like, you don't want to write another book? I said, no, I don't want to write another book. She goes, what about the Today Show? I go, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to write a book. I don't want to do speeches. I don't want to run my company. I don't. I, I went through all the list of things I don't want to do. And she's like, well, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. I go, well, I want to wake up in the morning and take the kids to school and I want to be a dad and I want to pick the kids up from school and I want to go to the gym and I want to have lunch with my friends. And I'm like, kind of like what you do right now. I'm like, that looks like a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> and she's like, you know, it's not as easy as it looks. Um, and she's right. And it's she's not, right. It's not as easy as it looks. And I said, but, you know, I want to try it. I want to just be a Mr. Dad for a year. And so she looked at me and she said, well, we do all these things that you talk about in your books. Can't you afford to take a year off, like kind of back to the dream account? And I said, well, yeah, I could. And then she's like, okay, well, fine. Then take a year off. Happy birthday to you. And literally that conversation, you know, how it is you put out into the world, it creates all these things that happen. All these things lined up and I made the decision to take really an 18-month break. And I took all of 2013 completely off. I was Mr. Dab. I got to really be present for my kids in a way I hadn't gotten to be present really probably ever in my life. I went home and spent three weeks with my parents. It was the longest time I'd spent with my parents since college. That alone was so precious. I went and spent time with friends from high school. I traveled all over the world. I went skiing all over the place. But the biggest thing from from taking a sabbatical, um, and I I will tell you it's like the the ultimate, um, it's like a magic pill. You know, if you're listening to this and you're tired, I didn't know I was tired. I would wake up at five in the morning every day. I would do all the things I do. I would work out. I would, you know, crank through my day. But I was not bouncing out of bed the way I had been. So I just thought I was getting older. I was tired a lot. This is before I took the break. Nothing I could do seemed to get my energy back. In fact, I went to the doctor to have my blood work done. He's like, well, you're getting older. Uh, Maybe you need more sleep. But I wasn't sleeping well, by the way, Mm. at, at that year. And... Within 60 days of taking a break, I was sleeping 10 hours straight without waking up. I was 
recharged in a way that I would tell people. It wasn't like my batteries were recharged. It's like they were replaced. Like 60 days after not working. And when I say not working, meaning like no social media. I stopped everything. I was done. It was like dying but being alive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the beauty of my sabbatical was I didn't get sick. I didn't have to go to rehab. There weren't, there was nothing that went wrong in my life to take the break. I actually got to take a break healthy, yep. proactively. And that experience in itself, most people, a lot of times people take a break because they get sick. Someone in their life dies. They go bankrupt. They, they get have fired. a drug addiction. They get fired. There's all these horrible things that create breaks for people. A sabbatical is a proactive decision to take a period of time for yourself. I call it a put yourself first time. And it changed my life. Within 60 days, Gene, I'm walking down the street in New York. I felt like I was 30 instead of 46 at the time. It was the most energy I had had in decades. I was happy and glowing for no reason. And it profoundly changed my life to the point that also in that time frame, I took up meditation. So, you know, people look, you look differently. Like, I meditate twice a day. Wow. Um, and it was a, it was a permanent life change. A couple of questions. Yes. Are those so long? No, that's fascinating. So for people who are listening and thinking, I need this, but I can't afford to do it. Or if I can afford to do it, I certainly can't afford 18 months. What do you say? Let me just say I had a friend who cleaned houses for a living. Okay. When she saw me take the sabbatical, she was so surprised by the transformation in me that about six months later, she came up to me and she said, I'm taking a sabbatical too. Now, she cleaned houses for a living. She, she's like, I'm going to move back to Brazil and spend a year with my family. And she moved back to Brazil and spent a year with her family and changed her whole life. I've seen people who have no money take sabbaticals. I've seen people who have lots of money never take a sabbatical. I happen to be a part of a company, a previous financial service company, where the company had an amazing policy of every seven years, every single employee had to take a six-week sabbatical. Those six-week sabbaticals for that employee, for those employees, was life-changing. When I went there and I got to meet all these employees and sign books for them all, I would ask them about their sabbatical and they would say – they would talk about their sabbatical like when they had a kid. Like that's how much they glowed. But that but, was six weeks. So I guess part so of what weeks, I'm asking is, is six weeks enough? Six weeks is – I don't want to say six weeks is enough, but six weeks is a phenomenal period of time. Truthfully, 30 days – I would tell you that a, but I think a six week sabbatical is the magic number. If you can get a six week sabbatical, which is like five times the amount of typical vacation that somebody normally takes, it's not a vacation. Sabbatical is not just an extended vacation. A six week sabbatical means you are unplugged. Like these employees were not allowed to have email. They couldn't call the office. They had to have something that they were going to go do specifically where they would share with us what they're going to go do. It had to be approved, like in this company's case. Um, but making a decision that you're going to take six weeks completely unplugged. For whatever you're going to do. Everybody did different things. Sure. But it's it's coming up with what is it you want to do and then doing that and not doing the work thing. And I think, let me tell you, it's, it, there are people who listen to this right now and they're going to go, I know I need that. Yep. They might not be able to do it this year or next year, but they could work towards it. It could be a three-year goal. It could be a four-year goal. It could be a five-year goal. Once you do it, it's also somewhat addictive. Like I, I'm already thinking about what I, when I what want to do, do it. I again. want to do one in 2020, and 
Um, and the next time I do it again, I'll, I'll, I'll get it even better. Like there's things that I would have done differently now that I know. But life is short. And the biggest gift you get with a sabbatical is presence. Yeah. You know, a lot, we're, we're losing our presence in life because we're so tied to our phones. We're working so hard. This freelance economy that we're in where we're all got to have a hustle. You know, everything's about hustle, hustle, hustle. Poor millennials are more burnt out than any generation I've ever seen. We need time to unplug and really unplug. And so I think a sabbatical is a great approach. You know, the only people who used to take sabbaticals were professors. Yeah, no, my dad was a professor. So, so I, you know, was I remember. Normal. And I remember wonderful summers in Europe and a wonderful summer driving across the country because he was able to do that. And it was an incredible gift. The other question, though, that I have, and this may be a female perspective, but we all know people who took a step back from the workforce and then really found it tough to get back in. Now, those were longer periods of time mostly, but were you ever worried about that? Oh my God, was I worried completely? Let me tell you, this is such a classic question. It's such a, and you'll appreciate this because you know my son. So, my favorite thing in the world to do still to this day is to take my kids to school. Um, I don't get to take Jack anymore because he's in seventh grade, but I get to take James and he still holds my hand because he's in first grade. So at the time I'm taking Jack to school, don't get to hold his hand because he's like in fourth grade, I think at the time. And I'm feeling so good, right? Like I'm, I'm I just want to pinch myself. I'm so happy. And he turns to me and he says, you know, dad, aren't you worried that people are going to forget about you and you'll never be able to work or make money again? It was like, if I, if every, if every imaginable fear that was in my life about taking the sabbatical were to be verbalized, he verbalized it to yep. me right as I was feeling great. And I was like, uh, thanks buddy for bringing that all up for me. I was afraid. I will tell you, taking a sabbatical was the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life. The only other time that I was this scared was when I left Morgan Stanley. I worked at Morgan Stanley for nine years. My career was set. We, my family had almost a billion dollars under management. Um, I had worked my tail off for nine years. I didn't need to go and write books and, and moved to New York where I didn't know a soul on a wing and a prayer to go help millions of people. I didn't. Nobody thought I should do that. But in my heart, I'm like, I want to go help a million women be smarter with their money. That was what led to Smart Women Finish Rich. And, but I was terrified. And, you know, everything's in retrospect. In retrospect, it's amazing that I did what I did um, because it shouldn't have worked. And then I came to New York and then it worked. Yeah. And the sabbatical, I was terrified. Well, well, what if I stop working and will I be able to pick it back up again? And will I want to? And by the way, I will tell you this. I didn't tell anybody I was taking a sabbatical. So, I mean, my friends, my family, but I didn't send an email out. I didn't make an announcement. I didn't put on my website. That was interesting too. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's the, that's the way to go about doing it, but it was interesting to see how long it takes for people to notice that you're gone, you know, and you're not dead, right? right. And people are like, then they start emailing, like, are, is, are you okay? Is he okay? Um, but you know what? I, I got my energy back and then shockingly, um, I wanted to come back in the financial service industry and then I, I did. I came back and became vice chairman of one of the largest financial planning companies yep. in America. And I've started another financial planning company. We started about a year ago and it's just growing gangbusters. And so then I've updated this book, which is another thing I decided to do on my sabbatical. And we're updating Smart Couples Finish Rich and Smart Women Finish Rich. Those are coming out next year. And I'm going to do a book for young people, for millennials. So... Um, the sabbatical recharged me and re-energized me. And um, I don't know. I'm grateful that people still want to hear what I have to say sometimes. Of course they do. <laughs> I always do. You can come back here anytime. <laughs> this was fabulous. Thank you. It's so good to see you. Can we go get a drink now? 
Yeah, I would love to. I don't want to come back and do a podcast and interview you. Like, I could come on your show and interview you. So you probably people want to know more about Gene Chat. I don't think so. I think they know plenty. I've <laughs> given them plenty of information. We've discussed many, many things. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for being here. We'll be back with Kelly and your questions. Kelly is with me in the studio and... So at the risk of sounding old, what is always amazing to me when I sit down with David or Dave Ramsey or, God, there are a number of other people, but is as much as things change, and they do change over the years in terms of little wrinkles that you need to know about your money, so much of it is just the same habits over and over again. And Part of what I feel is our job is to make it interesting and entertaining enough so that people will come and listen to it. I agree. And I think, especially in the last, what, 10, 15 years when the Internet came out and technology has taken hold of our lives, that's been the new and biggest and greatest wrinkle that everyone yeah. like you, Dave Ramsey, David Bach, are helping everyone turn those long-term and long-time principles into how they can work in their daily lives with this technology. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And technology is absolutely making everything easier, but sometimes it enables you to take your eye off the ball. Sometimes it gives you the illusion of control mm -hmm. when you haven't really taken the right steps to assume that control. Right, which we talked a lot about, or you talked a lot about with David and yeah. automation. Absolutely. All right, onward to our questions. questions. We've got questions, and thank you, everybody, for keeping those questions coming. Thank you for taking our survey. If you haven't taken our survey yet, it's at genechatsky.com. We're just trying to learn a little bit more about who you are and what you want to hear from us so that we can do the best show possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And our first is an email from Jen. She writes, Hi, Jean and Kelly. I have a question regarding the high cost of pet care. Since you are a fellow dog owner, I'm wondering if you use pet insurance or if you would recommend it. My fur baby is entering senior status and vet bills can be expensive. I have a small savings account to cover everything unexpected for her, but it is limited and would like to know if there is a trusted company that maybe I should look into for extra coverage for her. Unfortunately, it is probably too late. Aww. I know. The problem with pets is, like people, it's tough to get anything that might be a pre-existing condition covered. And by the time they're a senior, it might be a little bit late. And Wait, so, Is there pet insurance? Oh, yeah. There's pet insurance. And by the way, I did not buy it when Teddy was a puppy. And then we'll put a picture of Teddy up on the podcast page. But Teddy is a cockapoo. He is 16 pounds. He is the light, other than my children, of my life. <laughs> He's got floppy ears. And as anybody who has a dog with floppy ears knows... They get ear infections, and ear infections cost $160 a pop to fix. I know, if you take them in. I've learned to keep the ear infection medicine at home and just administer, which mm -hmm. usually works. But the next time I get a pet, I will buy pet insurance. I did not do it this time around. I thought you were making a joke with pre-existing conditions. No, so they I'm actually, totally not. It's more difficult to get insurance for your pet if they have a pre-existing condition? Yeah, because those pre-existing conditions like will not be covered. So Teddy is epileptic. And oh. you didn't know this? I think I remember, but I don't think he's had an episode in a long time. Well, we don't know. 
exactly. <laughs> because, no, here's the thing. I mean, Teddy, he has puppy seizures. And the first time he had one, we were in the car and he just started to shake uncontrollably. And these seizures last like a minute, maybe two minutes. And then he's fine. He snaps right out of it. But once he got that, I, I said, oh my gosh, I should get insurance. Mm-hmm. But in fact, no, you, you can't get insurance for the conditions that you already know exist. And by the time they're seniors, I mean, you can certainly look into it. And the advice that I would give you is to talk to your vet about which coverage your vet accepts, mm-hmm. because it's a lot like working with a doctor. You want to make sure that the doctor's on the plan. So interesting. And we're, we're painting a grim picture for Teddy, but he's a really happy and healthy dog. He is. He's a very happy and healthy dog. And the only reason I don't know if he's had incidents is because Teddy is a latchkey dog. And <laughs> when I go out and I go to work, it is possible that he has had a seizure or two when I haven't been around to see it. Pretty sure he just sleeps. I think he does. Pretty, pretty sure he just sleeps. Teddy's twelve. Yes. He sleeps a lot. Yeah, he needs his he needs his rest. Okay. Well, our next question is an email from Allison. She writes, "I'm a 33 year old single woman who lives in an area with expensive real estate. I'm targeting buying a home by age 40, and I'm steadily saving towards a 20 percent down payment. I'm probably a third there now. I'm debt free, contributing 11 percent of my income to my 401k, and do not have a Roth IRA set up." I have a few related questions. One, should buying a home be higher on the priority list? Am I just wasting money on rent that I could be using to build equity in a home? Two, if I were to set aside more money each month, would it be best to put towards my down payment fund, 401k, or a Roth IRA? And three, if I have a cash windfall, bonus, or tax refund, would it be best to put it towards the down payment fund, the 401k fund, or the Roth IRA? So I'd like to see a couple of things happen. Let's just put the Roth IRA to the side for a second. The Roth IRA kind of doubles up on what the 401k is doing. Essentially, they're both saving for retirement, although you could put the money in the Roth and use it to, you could grow it for a down payment. But because you're looking at a house in such a near window, I probably wouldn't do that. What I would do is look at trying to get your 401k contributions up to 15% in total. Now, that can include matching dollars. And that may mean that you're already there. If you're putting in 11 and your employer is putting in something, my guess is you're already at that 15%, in which case I would put the money toward your down payment fund. And I would start looking at the potential to buy something with 10% down. They exist. The mortgages don't necessarily cost more than other mortgages, especially if you're not looking at a co-op or a condo. If instead you're just looking at a house, you may be able to get a mortgage putting less down. Then you can just start using the money to pay your mortgage instead of paying your rent. And you'll get a nice tax deduction, you'll start to build equity, and real estate prices are projected to increase 4 or 5% a year in most parts of the country these days. So buying right now, as long as you think that you're going to be there for at least three or four years, I think is a really good thing to do. And it sounds like you live in some place where you've already put down roots and you think that you're going to stay, so that won't be an issue. And I think we in New York can especially relate to the first one on the feeling of renting being a total waste of money, but it's not necessarily always the case. It's not. There are certain places where you're going to, where it's just going to be more cost effective 
to rent than to buy. And often the question is, am I making a mortgage payment and do I have maintenance charges on top of that? I mean, she didn't say where she lives. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're talking about a house rather than an apartment, generally you can um, make it work. Mm -hmm. No, my girlfriend, Shana, who's 26 in Washington, D.C., great job. She just got a place. She just bought a home, I should say, and she just didn't anticipate all these costs of being a homeowner. Just she didn't realize, like, you know. Oh, so it's more expensive than she she thought it would be. Mm -hmm. It is. It look. You should before you sit down and buy a home. Find a friend who owns something similar to yours and ask them to go through their monthly budget. How much does it cost to heat the place? How much did it cost to furnish the place? What are we talking about for landscaping? But we are in an increasing interest rate environment. And so if you can do it sooner rather than later before mortgage rates go up more, I think that's a good idea. Thank you, Jean, and you thank you, welcome. everyone, for your questions. And if you have questions, please send them to us at jeanchatsky.com. Jean at jeanchatsky.com is our preferred home for questions, although if you send yes. us a tweet or if you tag us on Facebook, we will find you. Moving into our weekly Thrive segment, tax season is officially over. Hooray! The average refund is expected to be around $2,800. Those are still rolling in. If you're getting one and you're wondering what to do with it, I know it's fun to fantasize about a trip to Cabo, but with our earlier conversation with David in mind, I just want to run through a few investing moves that should come first. Number one, pay off any high interest rate credit card debt. As I just said, interest rates are going up. They will continue to go up as long as the economy stays on its more stable ground. Paying off credit card debt is one of the best guaranteed returns on your money. The return is equal to the interest rate. It's risk-free. So if you're paying off a card at 24%, every dollar you put toward that debt is essentially seeing that same 24% return. That is tough to beat anywhere else. Number two, invest against future emergencies. Ideally, yes, you want three to six months worth of living expenses in your cash cushion, but your refund itself that $3,000, that in and of itself is a nice little cushion that can save you from a world of hurt. And number three, meet the employer match. If you have a workplace retirement account and your employer offers a match, grab it by increasing the amount you're kicking into your 401k or your 403b. In fact, this is the one return that might beat the credit card interest rate one. So if you've got credit card debt, and matching dollars you're not grabbing, try to split the difference if possible. I know, as I said, these are not as exciting as jetting off to sunny Mexico, but they are smart moves that, as our friend David would say, will enable you to finish rich. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to David Bach for a terrific conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show at iTunes please leave us a review. We would prefer five stars. We want to know what you think, but we'd also like to know that you're listening. Thank you to our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And if you've ever thought about contributing to a Kickstarter campaign or a GoFundMe campaign, you should join us next time. Alex Daly, who is an expert in crowdfunding, she's 
especially good at raising money. They call her the crowd sorceress. She will be with us in the studio. I look forward to that. We'll talk soon.